0: Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia coming to you on yet another weekend, weekday. Uh, We're doing two podcasts in the space of 72 hours for you. So wherever you are, whatever day you're listening or watching to us, uh, we are here. Like I promised, the last one with Chayek was on politics. Indian politics, Gujarat, Tamil Nadu, Kerala. So if you haven't watched that, pause this one and watch it or watch this one and then go back to that one. But but together uh, uh, on my second half of the weekend on my cultural podcast, history podcast um, on social issues is uh, with me today is Vishal Ganesan, an attorney and the man behind the fantastic Hindu history account on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, Vishal. Welcome to Mind Podcast.
1: Hi, Adit. Thanks for having me.
0: So to get uh, give our viewers and listeners a perspective, Hindu history is documenting the history of Hindus in America. It also looks at what, you know, how it was covered in media, how it was covered in books, how it was covered by intellectuals, what was said then. And Vishaltra also tries to bring a perspective when he we do this discussion about what it means right now. You know, what what difference have they seen now that the world is a more of a global place? You know, you still have... Um, internet going everywhere. So at the click of a button, people can know about countries, civilizations, uh, uh, cultures, but has it changed, right? In mainstream America, has our perspective changed? To decode that, Vishal uh, is with us for the next four hours, because that's how long it'll take. <laughs> but we'll, we'll try to package this in less than an hour. So <laughs> Vishal was about to text me, four hours, are you kidding me? <laughs> so... <laughs> but Vishal uh, uh over to you uh so give us a little bit what prompted you into this uh why Hindu history why not uh you know why not call it something else and you I I noticed you use the old pronunciation of the word Hindu H-I-N-D-O-O so a little bit about that
1: yeah piece. yeah thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me um I, I really appreciate the invitation so yeah I, I think this it's a great place to start because this is the co- most common question I get which is yeah you know, some people even ask me like, indign- indignantly, like, why are you spelling it like with the two O's? But, you know, I did that for a very particular reason, which is that, you know, it's not so much about the history of uh, Hinduism or Hindus, like the people, it's really about this construct of the Hindu. It's a cultural construct. And the the, the point I, I've been trying to kind of illustrate through my, um, you know, the work and the yeah. archival work and these newspaper clips is that the kind of uh, cultural engagement with this, the Hindu began in America you know, long before Indians and Hindus were here in any significant numbers, so you know, Americans had constructed this idea of what the Hindu was, what he believed, how he lived, um, based on these sorts of uh, reports. You know, commercial activity, trade between America and India, uh, even you know, dispatches from uh, the British Raj that had arrived in American newspapers. You know, so they had all this access to information, and through that information. Uh, they were able to kind of construct this, uh, you know. They were able to create this construct of the Hindu that was, you know, uh, abstracted from the day-to-day life of actual Hindus in India. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that's that's kind of why I use the spelling um, the way I, the way I, you know. One of the disclaimers I, I I put on the Instagram and the Twitter is that this isn't really about Hinduism in India or Hindus in India. It's it's, a, it's an American story that I'm trying to trying yeah. to tell.
0: Absolutely, and and my makers stands at that cusp right so uh, i am born and raised in india and so are my co-founders and uh but we uh, we are based over here in us for the last you know decade and a half or a decade and a bit and we do talk about indian politics we talk about american politics and also talk about the Indic impact on american you know life cultural way of life and nothing um typifies more like. One thing which which bothers me is first of all, for the first 50 years, half the people didn't know about what Swami Vivekananda said in the World Parliament of Religions in 1893. But there is also there is that, and then there is this huge gap. And then, yep. then you suddenly talk about the present. But there is a lot of things that happen in between. And even in 1893, Swami Vivekananda was not the only one there. His stress. Uh, Along with him was Virchand Gandhi, who was a Jain. And I mean, being a Jain myself, I had no idea about who Virchand Gandhi was. And then I found out that he actually not only went, he actually even funded Swami Vivekananda's trip. So it was fantastic what both of them uh, accomplished. So how do you deal with this weird sort of connotation that we have this amazingly popular event in 1893 and then nothing for like 90 years in terms of historical conversations? So how do you amalgamate that?
1: Yeah. I, mean, I would say I would add to that and say not only is there uh, a big gap after that, but there's also a big gap before, right? And I think that's one of yeah. the uh, that's one mm-hmm. of the narrative gaps that I've been trying to trying to fill because I think the traditional narrative, like if you talk to Indian Americans today, like they I think most people know about World Parliament, or they really, like they know that Swami Vivekananda came to America and gave this big speech in Chicago, but you know I think what people miss out on is the the long historical cultural context that preceded that right? the whole Indian delegation, as you point out, right? there were a bunch of people who came and spoke and um, yeah, I I highly recommend by the way going and reading. You can find, I don't remember the guy's name now, but you can, you know, there were comprehensive reports put together uh, of the, of the world parliament. And like, you know, they transcribed all the speeches that were given. So you can go and find this stuff pretty easily on like Google books or whatever. But, um, you know, they were responding to a a kind of a a long history, right? They were, uh, they were speaking in a vacuum. So when they were speaking to this American audience, uh, they were they were responding to you know a century almost of uh, kind of preconceived notions and uh, ideas that ha- were already circulating in American popular culture, American intellectual culture, um, and so that's kind of a uh, you know uh, you know the Swami Vivekananda Vivek, I mean, that's not really the beginning of the story. That's like you know in a lot of ways the middle of the story. It's certainly uh, a crux moment. of sorry my phone just fell over uh, it's certainly a, uh, an important mo- it's certainly an important moment and i would call it like an inflection point um you know he was a massively popular figure you know he obviously you know gave extensive lectures all over america obviously founded the vedanta society so you know things uh, kind of went to a whole nother level following the world parliament but uh it wasn't the beginning um so that's i'm hoping that uh, i'm hoping that's one of the lessons people take from uh, hindu history
0: yeah, fascinating, very fascinating. So, um, let's let's take a little bit uh, sort of a departure from eighteen after eighteen ninety three. What would you count as one of the most significant moments of Hindu history in America?
1: Um, I mean, so uh, you know, I'm uh, kind of uh, you know, I'm, I'm the project. I'm going chronologically. So right now, yeah, yeah. you know, I I'm 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 at uh in like the early twentieth century, hmm. and I'll say that you know like. I think um the one of the themes I've uh, picked up on and I've been posting a lot uh, on this topic is you know, following Swami Vivekananda, there was like a kind of a, a stream of these prominent spiritual figures who are arriving in America. You know, like mm-hmm. there was obviously, obviously you know, Swami Abedananda, who was um, uh, part of the Vedanta Society. You had like Swami Ram, you know, all, all these spiritual figures uh, kind of following in Swami Vivekananda's footsteps. And, you know, they were all part of a continuous tradition and they were immensely popular cultural figures. I mean, mm-hmm. you see a lot of uh, consternation in uh, the American newspapers um, in this period in the early 20th century about, you know, how many, uh, uh, uh adherents that these people were drawing, how many, uh, you know, uh, the potential, uh, you know, threat of, uh, these swamis converting people. And, and, and so it is interesting to see, like, um, the kind of, uh, cultural reaction to the success of a lot of these Vedanta society, uh, uh yeah. spiritual figures in America. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting too, is like, they weren't just, um, you know, they were operating in, in cities like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and they were really drawing adherence from like, you know, the cream of the crop of American society. You know, like they yeah. were, you know, it, it was it was the urban elite that was really being drawn to uh, this kind of uh, spiritualism and Vedanta yeah. and, and uh, things of this nature.
0: So because uh, in the perspective of uh, the Judeo-Christian worldview of America, right, uh, Hinduism was seen as this sort of the hipster religion where uh, you know all these young hippies or something of the cities uh, and it didn't help that too that you had the whole Osho phase in Oregon mm-hmm. where which was basically you know that going on that you know oh these are these free love kind of you know crowd or something and I, I, I I'm painting this with a very broad brush and I don't mean this in an insulting or any fashion it's just from pure analytical perspective this is how Americans most Americans saw it. Most of the old school Americans saw it. But that perspective is slowly changing. And I find in fact now I find that the religious Americans, uh, the the, the are probably finding a little common ground in the religious aspect of, not common ground with Hinduism, but with the perspective of a lot of people who find Hinduism, because they find that most people, when you go to India, aren't the same people who are following Hinduism in America in the 50s, 60s, 70s, so forth.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. I I think the other, um, I mean, this is a very interesting question, and it's certainly a a trend that I think is is worth kind of analyzing. You know, it's, it's, if you look at the newspaper clips in the like I'm in this period now in the early 20th century, like you know yoga when it first arrived in America, also caused a lot of uh, consternation among uh, establishment kind of Christian authorities. You know, like they saw especially women women doing yoga as like a very dangerous thing because it was kind of the gateway to uh, heathen religion and the gateway to paganism. And you know, to <laughs> see where we are now, where like yoga, mindfulness, all of these like these are ubiquitous in American society, and they're you know not only ubiquitous culturally but economically, they're massive industries. And um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, like if you look at the trends in American society, I mean, you, you, you know, the the way we measure it, right, by like church attendance, you know, the kind of story is that we're secularizing very rapidly, like people, church attendance is down dramatically. But I think, you know, the mistake that we need to avoid is to say that as a result, people are becoming less religious. Like, I don't think that's true. Like, I think the religious tendency is kind of persistent in human society. It just takes different forms. And so, you know, the question is, what's going to fill that void? And I think we're, seeing that, you know, like whether it's yoga, mindfulness, even, you know, astrology, astro- astro- especially among Gen-, Gen Z, like it's kind of remarkable. Uh, you know, I, I now that I'm on Instagram with this Hindu history, like I see this a lot more uh, prominently, but like astrology has kind of taken on this whole new, um, you know, uh, popular culture, uh, 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 like prominence. And, you know, it, it coming from a Hindu background, that's kind of interesting to see because that's kind of just like a, 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 a also like a ubiquitous part of Hindu culture, right? So, yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting to think about how, um, you know, uh, various aspects of uh, Hindu culture and Hindu religion are kind of filtering into the American public consciousness mm-hmm. as a kind of a, the, the Christian um, uh, Christ- Judeo-Christian culture in America uh, slowly exactly. uh, you know, breaks down.
0: Yeah. No, it's, I, 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 I very funnily say that from psychological fear, now we are moving to Hinduism in the psyche, right? Because <laughs> you will find more Americans doing yoga and uh, eating Indian food in a week than you probably would have found five years ago. I mean, it's... Yeah exponentially increasing right uh and it's not just uh the uh, uh just you have hinduism as that just the soft power like you go to whole foods right you see now everyone warming up to turmeric ghee so, so many things my my friend who was born and raised here one of my friends she always uh jokes with me saying where the hell were these people when 10 years ago uh, uh, all these people were laughing at what i took to school in my lunchbox and and yeah. i was like oh, 15 years ago you know and <laughs> (laughs) And that is true, right? I mean, that's how far we've come in 15 years where people will be like, oh, what is this uh, clarified butter thing of saying, oh, I put ghee on my toast every day. Uh, So it's it's amazing. Amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: So let's come to the pop culture part of it, right? Uh, uh, How do you view how Hinduism is perceived today in the American perspective? Is it the same way as it was 30 years ago? But has it
1: changed? No, I, I mean, I think it's changed, but, I, you know, it's it's tough because I don't think that there's a... Uh, you know, it's a complicated question because I don't think that... I think there's still, like, you know, we often... Uh, you know, the fact that we're so globalized as a culture and, you know, we have access to all this information, I think it mm-hmm. cre- sometimes will create the false impression that, you know... Uh, it, 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 the threat is that it creates, like, a false impression of understanding, right? Which is, like, we have to keep in mind, like, these are... Still, two very different cultures, you know, and and mm-hmm. as there's there's an ongoing dialogue that you know that's going on between obviously American culture and Indian culture, but there's still a lot of kind of, you know, mm-hmm. lost in translation, as it were. So mm-hmm. you know, I I think that you know as much of um as of progress as, as there's been uh, as uh, made when it comes to like, kind of cultural uh, cross connections in the, in this regard, there's certainly mm-hmm. a lot of uh, you know scope for misunderstanding still, and you know that really comes through in the in the newspaper clips too, you know, because it's like And and this is, I mean, one of the one of the underlying motivations of of Hindu history, right? Is I think one thing that's important for us to be cognizant of um, as we try to build these cultural bridges and create cultural Mm -hmm. cultural dialogue is that we're not operating on a blank canvas. You know, like I think um, if you start from the very beginning of uh, you know the kind of Hindu history, you uh, and this is one of the points I I made in. um, this clubhouse discussion I hosted the other day, but, you know, there's uh, basically like a, a dual track of, um, you know, you have like the popular understanding and then you have this kind of elite intellectual uh, track, right? And these kind of operate in parallel and they operate, sometimes they're intertwined and they, uh, they're they in dialogue with each other. But, you know, th- these are kind of longstanding uh, narratives that uh, um, are, reflect- are deeply uh, embedded in the culture at various levels. And so... You know, when you're uh, trying to build these cultural bridges, hmm. you have to keep in mind that you're operating with this background, like you're operating with these ideas that pre-exist and these uh, pre- preconceived notions that are already, um, you know, existing in society. And you have to kind of, uh, you have to keep those in mind. And I think that's sometimes, uh, you know, lost on us. Um, so, I, you know, I'm hoping. No, think... yeah.
0: no, 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 sorry. I didn't mean to cut you short. Complete your point.
1: No, no, that's that's it. I I just think it's important to kind of understand the context and understand the background and then, you know, operate with that in mind. um, lest things be misunderstood, you
0: know. Because one thing that always strikes me is that when you talk about Hinduism and, you know, there's this urge in a lot of sort of the liberals right now to put all the religions in the same bracket or like, you know, have this one thing and, you know, try. And some might be doing it just out of, you know, nobility. Let me find out what are the similarities and things like that. But if you apply them to the modern construct, it cannot work, right? Like uh, there is a lot of debate about uh, gender issues in Islam or Christianity or so forth. But in Hinduism, it takes a whole different perspective that nine days a year during Navratri, everything is yeah. done around, you know, the veneration for goddess. The concept of, um, you know, we say maa durga, makari, it's it's as as you revere your mother, that is how you revere the yeah. goddesses, right? Sarasuti Devi. So, uh, you cannot view it in the same construct as people who are talking about Christianity or Islam, and I'm not comparing anything. I'm just saying that this is there is this natural urge because we are more globalized, we are a little homogenized as well as societies in certain companies, especially people who are don't consider them like people who might consider themselves to be agnostics or atheists, right? So how do you address that issue that Hinduism yeah. is fundamentally different in a, in a, in many ways, and whether you agree or disagree, that's what we have to debate. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so i mean i think you hit at the uh, core issue and it's something i think about a lot and it's you know i would say that was like the defining issue for american hindus today it would be this one and i you know I, it's it's you know i think a category error that not only people on the outside uh you know are, are um suffer from but also you know Amer- hindus themselves kind of uh you know fall for it too and you know ultimately if you're uh, from, coming from a non-hindu perspective right and you think about like what is your cognitive model for what a religion is like clearly you're gonna it's gonna be Christianity or Islam or, you know, Judaism, right? This is sort of what you know, when you think of what a religion is, you think like, okay, well, you know, there's a founder, there's some sort of sacred text. This text gives people like certain rules and beliefs that define yeah. them as a religious community. And yeah. this is what kind of defines a religion, right? It's a sort of a, a close a closed system but is dynamic within that within certain framework. And I yeah. think um often when people on the outside are trying to understand Hinduism, they apply the same model. So they kind of assume that it must follow the same kind of, you know, uh, format. Um, and that's just not true. Right. I mean, it's just it's it, 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 like you said, it doesn't You that model doesn't apply. And I think, you know, sometimes uh, Hindus themselves, uh, you know, especially when you hear critiques that you feel like are not um, consistent with your own understanding or consistent with your own beliefs, you kind of respond on the same terms. And that can hmm. also be a mistake, right, because if you respond on those terms and you know you're kind of um putting the religion or putting your system in a box that it doesn't really fit into hmm. so it, it you know it's it's a serious issue that i think has implications um for for both for both uh, sets of people and you know i think um i had a twitter thread on this um i had a twitter thread on this a while back that i stupidly deleted i've been meaning to write a longer piece on this but there's, there's a wonderful uh, egyptologist named john usman who writes um about this he writes yeah. about like, you know, uh, the uh, transition from uh, kind of primary religions to secondary religions. He focuses mm-hmm. on Egypt. But, you know, in his, he, he has this kind of framework that I, I found very helpful to think about this question, which is the distinction between primary and secondary religions. And, you know, a primary religion is like, a, it evolves organically over a long period of time. It's often, you know, inextricably tied in with a particular cultural, particular language, you know, and it uh, it's often polytheistic and it, It kind of has like a a whole cosmology built into it, you know, so examples would be like the Egyptian polytheism, Greco-Roman polytheism, obviously, you know, Hinduism is a primary religion. Mm -hmm. And then he contrasts that with secondary religions, right? Secondary Mm -hmm. religions are uh, also uh, described as counter religions and and Mm -hmm. these religions arise out of primary religions and, you know, they have a distinct founder, they have a specific text. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're also made to transcend, you know, geographic and ethnic boundaries. So they mm-hmm. can easily be uh, transplanted from one context to another. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the challenges that we face as American Hindus today are our are inability to, uh, or are, 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 are so far our failure thus far to really come to terms with this, right? Like ultimately, you know, Hinduism uh, is not built to be transmitted in the same way that like a Christianity or an Islam is, right? Like not, it's not, once it's pulled out of its, you know, so-called uh, native cultural context, uh, it's like, it's, it's, it, there's it, um, a lot is lost in that, in that movement, right? Um, and I think, you know, this is why there's, you know, there, there's, there's so much uh, kind of confusion among American Hindus today about like, well, what, you know, what can be fairly said to represent, you know, uh, Hindu beliefs or Hindu views? And uh, you know, ultimately like this, points to another fact which is that we're not really um a community of belief right i mean if you think about like a christian community or a muslim community you know like a, a, most christians you know there's probably some denominational differences but if you talk to like most protestants they'll be able to tell you like okay here are like the core beliefs that unite us despite mm-hmm. you know w- there might be some uh, d- uh, you know doctrinal or denominational conflicts but for the most part there's like a a set of core beliefs that unite protestant yeah. christians or catholics or, or muslims i don't you know that's not really true for hindus uh outside of a kind of a, a broader metaphysical sense yeah. right like yeah, most hindus will believe in reincarnation believe in karma oh. but uh you know outside of these kind of uh, uh you know core metaphysical beliefs there's not really a lot day-to-day that unites uh hindus in terms of their beliefs right like people worship different gods people do different rituals um you know it, it, so there's so much um internal diversity that it's very hard to describe uh, yeah, hindu yeah, yeah, religious community in the same way
0: yeah yet there is this incredible situation where someone from kerala adi shankara goes and starts, yes you know yeah. in kashmir and and the people and so you do have that syncretic identity of bharata that binds kashmir with Kanyakumari and dwarika with assam even for sure
1: for sure it's a yeah. ritual community right it's a community joined by a shared ritual culture like yeah. and, and that that's absolutely true and i think you know the problem is for um, for American Hindus, like a lot of that shared ritual community has been lost, right? Because I think, yeah. you know, in, in India, especially like, you know, this um, Diana Eck, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, she's like a Harvard uh, divinity scholar, and she wrote this wonderful book called uh, India Sacred Geography. And she talks about this in detail, about how India was kind of, a, the cultural unity you're referring to was built up through these kind of pilgrimage routes, right? So you had people from all over India that would travel to these different uh, sacred pilgrimage sites, whether they were natural landmarks or whether they were temples. And often, you know, temples were built on certain uh, sacred natural landmarks that were considered uh, important for particular divinities. You know, they were built into this sort of like mythological framework. And so, you know, this is what created this kind of cultural unity, even, uh, you know, if people had different beliefs and, you know, but but yeah. hey, coming to America, like we, that, that that's not present here, right? So that it poses a whole new set of challenges.
0: Yeah. No. I- and I think the uh, American perspective is also, and uh, apologies people if you're picking up the phone line, um, behind me, <laughs> but the American perspective is also very interesting because Hinduism is also just seen as a religion of the father or the mother of the parent, right? A lot of Hindu kids just view Hinduism as uh, you know religion. So how do you solve that dichotomy of, uh, and, and I don't mean the people like you and I or something might be different. I'm talking about people who are not connected to it culturally. So, you know, and then that probably could be 30, 40% of the American, American Hindu youth. So how would you change that perspective? How do you yeah. get them to own their religion, so to speak? Or, you know, I have debate about it. If you don't agree with it, that's the beauty, right? You can come and disagree and say that I don't agree. And someone will tell you why they might be wrong. They might be right, whatever. So how do you resolve this?
1: Yeah. So this is a great question. And, you know, this is exactly the kind of discussion that I think everyone needs to be having, you know, like, I think temples should be discussing this more actively, but I, you know, I think, I think you have to go to the, the, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like people are not going to, uh, they're not, they're not going to, uh, identify with, and they're not going to nurture, a religion that doesn't speak to their kind of day-to-day needs and uh, you know anxieties living in America, right? So there's, I think, uh, I think uh, what happens is, you know, this is just speaking from personal experience, and also, you know, this, uh, so uh, you know, just uh, this is my observations. But you know, I think uh, one of the issues is that you know, when a, a lot of uh, the kind of Indian immigration to America post 1965, what happened was, you know, people came to various communities throughout the country and they kind of just set up uh, temples um, that were kind of provincial, right? I mean, you know, the way Indian immigration works is like you had, uh, you know, uh, uh, one family that came in and then like, you know, they talked to all of their friends and family back in India and then they would all start congregating in particular areas, right? So you started getting these communities that were relatively provincial, like, you know, that reflected their um, their community ties back in India. And, uh, you know, and and a lot of the religious institutions they created were reflected the, those same kind of uh, uh, traditions they yeah. grew up with, and you know I think there's a, a, fu- a need to uh, fundamentally rethink that. You know, like at the end of the day, uh, the the basis for kind of Hinduism in America can't simply be we're just going to keep carrying on the traditions of our parents and their parents, because yeah. again we're removed from the removed from the cultural context, right? And a lot of a lot of what sus- a lot of what sustained those traditions in India was the fact that they were part of this broader uh, cultural idiom. tied to broader a broader geographic identity? identity. Yes, exactly, it was tied to a geographic identity. And, yeah. you know, that's just not present here. And I think for that reason, a lot of younger Hindus in America feel alienated from those traditions. So, you know, I think that there's a need to kind of fundamentally rethink, like how we, um, uh, you know, uh, approach approach the this question in America, you know, and I think it does call for some pretty um, fundamental reform. And, you know, I think that, you know, you can, you know this is not like we're starting from scratch right? but i mean if you look at it one of the things that i've been kind of interested in lately is you know there is a uh you're seeing this kind of parallel development of a whole uh you know uh, uniquely american strain of, of hinduism right specifically like in iscon you know if you look at iscon like they've kind of developed uh you know uh, uh, an american brand of hinduism that is like almost developing in total parallel to uh indian uh indian american hinduism you know like they have a, a you know a, a re- you i don't know if you're familiar with this but there's like a whole host now of like a white American like kirtan singers that they have like budget albums that they release and you know they do like concerts and stuff like it's very interesting to see because uh, you know they're they're approaching this from the perspective that I think we need to approach it from right which is like how do we appeal to how do we appeal to the average American rather than you know what is the tradition that was followed in India centuries ago and how do we continue that here like I I think that's I think we have to learn a lot from uh, you know the the, uh, the, the, uh, kind of American folks who are um you know uh t- trying to build a sort of hinduism that's uh, you know emergent from an american cultural and social context i think that's really the perspective we need to approach it from because you know i i just don't think that um you know one of the thought experiments i, I often uh give my peers you know like I, I was born here i'm 32 now um and a lot a lot of my uh, peers like people who are you know culturally and religiously aware and curious and you know are, are um uh, and are interested in carrying forward, you know, Hindu traditions, you know, I asked them like, you know, if 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 we were to cut off Indian immigration to America today and you know, your community temple, like you were put in a place where you have to manage it, you know, like, let's say, you know, everyone retires and they have to bring in a new generation to manage these temples, like how many of us would actually feel competent enough to do that? Like, I certainly wouldn't feel competent enough to do that. And I, I honestly, all my, like, I don't know a single one of my kind of peers who would feel would be qualified to do that, you know, just because like, we don't have the kind of, uh, d- uh, deep, uh, uh, knowledge of like the, you know, intricacies behind the different, uh, rituals behind, you know, just, uh, we don't have the knowledge of Sanskrit, you know, like these, <laughs> and, and, the, the technical knowledge is missing. Um, and let's
0: face it, not just technical knowledge, even there needs to be a perspective on the belief system, right? Like, I mean, I, I am, I'll be turning 32 as well in a couple of months and, uh, I was born and raised in India, like so. I have that sort of uh, in the middle, right? Because I've spent almost a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, a lot, most of my time in India, and a little more here. Um, What what? Strikes me is people in our generation they might not agree with the same beliefs as well, and it's not coming from a position of uh, uh, sort of perspective or uh, thing. A lot of it is coming from a position of ignorance because we we certainly yeah. we somehow because we couldn't get a clear answer from people in our house or something. I mean, you know, if, if people they just assume that everyone out there doesn't have an answer, but that's not true. People in our house might know something people outside might know something more people might know, outside might know something less and people in our house might know something more so that dichotomy needs to be resolved and only when we wholeheartedly welcome you know and also have the ability of question after reading about it see if you question something without reading about yes. it then that's just dumb right i <laughs> mean you you don't know enough and you are questioning yeah. it but when you question after you've read in depth, and I'm not saying go and become a scholar of all the Puranas in, in Sanskrit. I'm saying at least have a cursory understanding of why, what is happening, and then start asking questions. So,
1: so yeah, that's I what I absolutely like, agree. And, you know, I think this is a fundamental Sorry, Go ahead.
0: No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, I was coming to you.
1: Yeah. No. I was just gonna say i, mean, I think you you've uh, hit the nail on the head and i think this is a fundamental tension that we have to resolve right like i think that people from like dharmic uh traditions generally you know we're very proud of the kind of diversity of thought and like this we're very reluctant to kind of impose beliefs and say like this is what you what you have to believe and this is you know we we really we really i think um you know it's a it's a culture of seeking right like this is very Uh, critical to the dharmic tradition is this idea that like the the spiritual path is fundamentally an individualistic one and you know you kind of choose the path that is best suited to your own nature but you know i think that if you're trying to you know solve a pragmatic problem of building of 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 maintaining this uh, dharmic thought and um dharmic traditions in america i think you have to be a little bit more practical and you know you have to kind of try to strike a balance between simplifying but also Maintaining that culture of uh, of critical reading and, and questioning, and um, yeah. I think now we're the the pendulum is too far on the side of just anything goes, because I mean this is a problem, right? I mean if you're if you're just like an American Hindu and you know uh, and and, and uh, you know you're in college or you're you're in school and uh, you know you have people telling you like oh like this is what you believe, you know if if you don't define your own beliefs, uh, then other people are going to define them for you. And they're going to define them for you in a way that is not consistent with your understanding or your interests, right? So, like, I think there has to be, and this is not, you know, this, you know, individual action here is important, but ultimately, I think the answer here is institutional, you know, like, I think, I think temples, uh, community organizations have to, uh, you know, get together in a room and think seriously about, like, look, like, the status quo is not, you know, the, 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 like, the status quo is not working. And I think that, Unless there's some sort of like radical change or radical reform, like the alienation that especially like Indian Americans are feeling from their you know, traditions, like it's I mean, I would say it's already a pretty uh, you know, high level of alienation. But I think, it, you know, it'll it'll reach a critical stage if nothing has changed soon. You know, so I think there really has to be like a, you know, a, a serious uh, rethinking uh, from a fundamental level.
0: So, you know, it's interesting. And uh, in the second, uh, second and the final concluding part of the podcast, uh, I wanted to focus a little bit on the specific instances that Vishal talks about, right? And when he talks about defining, I'm going to quote something from what he posted, uh, I think two two days ago or so forth. I forget when, uh, four days ago, sorry. So it was a piece, an essay by uh, Mabel Potter Daggett. Uh, called The Heathen Invasion of America. And I'm going to read out a couple of excerpts and get Vishal. Vishal already knows what I'm going to read out. That's, yeah. to get up here, right? um, yeah. Yoga, the Eastern philosophy, the emblem of which is the coiled serpent is being disseminated in America. Literally, yoga means path that leads to wisdom. Actually, it's proving the way that it leads to domestic infacility, infelicity, and insanity and death. And uh, and then in, it was in the Congress of Religions in 1893, they arrived, silicon clad and sandal short to prove an attraction that outshone the plain American variety of minister in a frock coat and a white tie. The yoga class is like the Browning class of the Shakespeare class, a direct mean by which a Swami reaches the public. And I think that's what bothered them because in a way, yoga was exactly what the conservatives of America like because it was very local. There was no nationalized yoga policy, right? You have a very fundamental class of like 20, almost like what they do in their churches where you have a parish and 40, 50 people show up and, and they were scared that what if... And yoga doesn't impose Hinduism on you, right? It is a very Hindu practice, but it does not impose yeah. a religion. And that's what scared them, that there is no, you know, the freeness of it all, right? And you can see that. And this was in the yeah. 1940s. It's unbelievable. So can you tell a little yeah. bit about more about it's
1: yeah, I mean that—that that was probably one of my favorite uh, clips that I found so far, you know. And it's certainly a uh, representative of, um, of 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 uh, this uh, the fear that you see, like in the you know the early 20th century when you saw these uh, you know swamis, um, uh, you know, drawing all these adherents, you know, and and like they, yeah, it was like the the, the quote about the uh, uh, silken, uh, silk clad and, and sandal, <laughs> sandal shot, sandal I try. love that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, sand, sand, sandal, <laughs> sandal shod. Uh,
0: Th- that's it, it.
1: it is kind of amazing, yeah. right? I mean, like, yeah. And uh, sorry, what was that?
0: No, no. They said it, the, the, something might lead to infelicity, insanity, and death. <laughs> that,
1: that was one of the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yoga, yeah, I love that. Yoga leading to insanity and death. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it is, uh, you know, it's, yeah. I, you know, this is the kind of ebb and flow of, yeah. You know, one of the, the the recurring themes throughout the Hindu history, right, is that you have, and I mentioned this earlier, is that, you know, although you had a lot of these, uh, you know, kind of the popular narrative was quite hostile to, uh, you know, Hindu, uh, Hindu, Hindu culture and beliefs, um, you know, there was always this sort of elite, um, this counter narrative, right, which is that, you know, you had, uh, especially once the Asiatic society started releasing English translations of various Sanskrit texts, and those were slowly making their their way to America, right? So you had figures like Thoreau and Emerson, who were uh, pretty steeped in Hindu spiritual tradition and and then and then uh, and, and philosophical thought, and uh, you know and and this obviously you know it reaches a a, a a greater fruition through the Vedanta Society, but uh, you know it's it is uh, super interesting to see how like you know as the kind of popularity of these ideas um you know increases um especially in the beginning of the 20th century you the the reaction becomes i mean it's 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 kind of amusing but it's also like a little bit terrifying right i mean like these people were really uh seemed threatened by the the spread of these ideas and you know one of the interesting things about that essay is that you know she says uh you know yoga she, she says like you know yoga might look harmless enough right it's just like these exercises but you know, she says it's just a gateway to pagan religion and a gateway to heathenry. You know, and I, I found that I found that quite amusing, but it, it, it does reflect it does reflect um a, histor- a historic fear that really did exist. Um, yeah. You know, the uh, American uh, uh, in that that you see in American newspapers and these kind of missionary reports um, from a very early stage.
0: Yeah, and and i was looking at the articles about banaras and stuff like frank carpenter says that he is not yeah. seen idolatry so repulsive as it is in india the gods of the hindus uh, represent the worst and the best elements of humanity They are the gods of destruction rather than creation you know what nonsense i mean if <laughs> you have destruction and creation and preserver all in the pantheon of hindu gods so it's unbelievable yeah. and if, if you thought but, but here is what bothers me but like this came from a position of and I'm not justifying it. It it was a terrible pieces and stuff. But when I see New York Times and Washington Post, right, I still don't see some perspectives that have changed. So how would you people who are saying that 120 years later, if we are doing the same thing, how have you progressed and what needs to change and how does it how does that change happen?
1: Yeah, so I mean this is an important point, and that's something that, you know. I think one of the central lessons I've learned from the Hindu history, right, is that, like, you know, these narratives um, took hold in American society very early, right? Very early, Mm -hmm. as in, like, early 19th century, when, uh, you know, Claudius Buchanan, he's kind of one of the central figures of the Hindu history story. He was a Scottish missionary who was active in India, and he was a a very, you know, vivid writer, and he published them, these, uh, you know, reports in missionary journals. And then those reports were subsequently published in American newspapers. And he was famous for, you know, the Juggernaut is the term that we have now, but uh, you know, he uh, this was a, an Englishized um, a, a version of the Juggernaut, right? Juggernaut Dhyatara, and the Juggernaut mm-hmm. became like the the dominant image in the American cultural imagination of Hindus, right? Which is this like demonic uh, idol uh, on this giant cart, and like there was human sacrifice. I mean, it, you know, it really is like the Temple of Doom. If you watch the Indiana Jones movie, like that, the image, the imagery in Temple of Doom, like this wasn't, it didn't come out of nowhere. Like that, temp- the Temple of Doom, which, by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love Indiana Jones. Don't get me wrong, but the imagery in that movie was tapping into uh, preexisting ideas <laughs> that Americans had. Where
0: they cut yeah, up the yeah. monkey yeah, but, and all sorts of nonsense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, monkey brains. But the idea was that the, that imagery was tapping into a, a deeply embedded cultural prejudice that was existing in American society for centuries. Right? It wasn't just like an invention. So, you know, I think that, um, and, and you know, and, and the way this is sustained, right, is like you 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 know, the cultural the cultural prejudice is embedded in the American imagination. And then you just have like a constant reporting of facts that support that narrative right so you know one of the interesting things in the in, in the hindu history in, in the, the period of time that i'm in right now in the 20, early 20th century mm-hmm. is you start seeing a lot more activity from uh indians in america like a lot of you know baba Bharati is one of the characters that i have uh, posted quite a few clips uh, about him but he was like a journalist in india he actually like had some association with kipling i think he worked with in the same newsroom as kipling but he yeah. eventually gave up his journalism and he kind of uh, uh, I guess took some sort of sannyas and decided to come to America as a you know as a Hindu missionary
0: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm.
1: um he w- he wrote prolifically so a lot of these newspapers you know include columns by Baba Bharati and he's like you know not until I came to America did I hear about Hindu women throwing their infants in the Ganges or not <laughs> until I came to America did I hear about uh, people throwing themselves under the wheels of the juggernaut, you know, like, and his and his mission he, it was to kind of, uh, uh, you know, tell people like, no, this is not fact; these are just stereotypes that have been perpetuated over, you know, decades. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see, like, you know, he'd he'd write these columns, and then there would be responses from American missionaries saying like, oh, actually, I did see X, Y, and Z, you know. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I do think that uh, that kind of that kind of basic pattern we still see today, right? And I, I see this play out on social media all the time, where you know, the New York Times will post uh, or the Washington Post will publish some article. And then, you know, you'll have a bunch of people in India on Twitter saying like, this is just distorted distortions and selective reporting of facts. And, you know, the the thing that I think the takeaway message for me has been like, this is not new. Like this has been a fight um, going on for literally a century, you know, Um, uh, this controlling the image of India and the American imagination has been a very fraught affair throughout American history. And uh, I certainly, you know, it's, it is it is uh, you know it it is uh, important to to kind of uh, understand that like the cultural attitudes that were formed like they don't just disappear you know like they are still present today i think mm-hmm. maybe um americans in uh, or indians in america maybe we don't we, we it's hard for us to kind of understand this because you know i think you know we are uh, tend to be like middle class upper middle class and you know our our, our friend groups and our associates tend to be like you know progressive americans who are uh you know pride themselves on their tolerance and stuff like this but you know there's uh you you have to realize that like there's it's a big country and like these attitudes uh kind of seep pretty deep into the cultural fabric so yeah,
0: no, and, and the progressivism also is fraught in very uh, a very uh, Judeo-Christian perspective, right? That that progressivism is also opposing to certain Christian values which were there on there, and the Hindu values are at or they were in opposition to those values even hundred years ago, right? So, uh, so there is that perspective also. Yeah. Also, I think. A lot of this perspective also tends... The problem is in American social construct, everything has become political because the American political system is so binary. People people are viewing everything uh, across yeah. as binary. But now the election is over. And I, I don't see that attitude changing, even if when the election is over, we're what, three three months away, four months after the election. And people are still viewing as things in binary, because especially when it comes to cultural issues, cultural context, what Hindus yeah. might think in one state, the Hindus of Florida and the Hindus of Texas and the Hindus of New York might be thinking in different perspectives. And that's how it should be, right? Because where yeah. you are... What are the issues you should bother, right? Uh, and 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 I, I don't understand like how to get the in together.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is again. I think this goes back to that that core question, right? I mean, at the end of the day, like it's very hard. Like I mm-hmm. don't, you know, even when we talk about like the American Hindus, like I don't even know if that's a coherent category, really, right? Because like, what is the what is it referring to? You know, like what is underlying what is underlying that 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 descriptor? You know, like we use the term Hindu in America. And it's just mm-hmm. like okay, well, you know, if you were if you were to describe the American mm-hmm. Hindus, like the average mm-hmm. American Hindu, like what is what does he or she believe? You know, I think this is I think that's the fundamental problem, and I think I think until we um until we're willing to confront that issue and kind of uh you know uh talk about like a serious reform, um and and you know this is why you know I'm a big um proponent of you know I think um <clears throat> ultimately you know the conversation we need to have is what is the kind of underlying philosophical core of dharma or what we call hinduism like what is that like what what is that because that's ultimately what you were trying to preserve right that's like the 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 mission right is like what like what is this the philosophical core of the dharmic traditions that we believe the world needs right that we want to preserve in our own lives and that we think that is good for the world and you know once you've kind of defined that then the question becomes well okay in america what is the best way to advance that what is the best way to preserve it? What is the best way to convince young Hindus that it's worth preserving, and how do we persuade other Americans that this is like you know uh, something yeah. that's good for them and good for society? Uh, I think sometimes we 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 miss the uh, we miss the forest for the trees, you know, and we yeah. focus too much on the uh, on the details and lose sight of what really matters. So you yeah. know, I think um, for sure that that's a that it, it's very hard to speak about. Uh, currently, I think it's very hard to speak about American Hindus as a coherent category just because there's not.
0: We don't have
1: the core set of beliefs that inform our lives day to day.
0: Yeah, and also not take uh, the the Hinduism as what you see on Netflix TV shows, guys. It's a lot deeper than that. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm I mean, I mean then, asking that's exactly me, music, right. like,
0: how? Huh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, like, this is exactly the issue, right? Like, unless we can organize and and, yeah. um, and advocate on our own, our own behalf and, and, and kind of say, speak from a, a place of authority, like, unless we can, you know, from an institutional perspective, define our beliefs and also, like, create the institutions that um, can, uh, you know, control knowledge production, you know? It, I mean, it, one of the things that, you know, like, it's a very basic, uh, you know... Um, issue but you know like if you one of the one of the problems i think for our community is that you know you often find uh hindu americans in prominent positions uh who will, who will make these like grandiose claims on behalf of hindu americans right and say like oh well like hindus believe this but it's like who who, who says that like who, who's the authority there like who's who, like there, we have no the problem is that you know we don't have an institutional mechanism by which to uh, regulate that kind of knowledge production, right? I mean, you just, you can look at like, look at like the Catholic church as an example, right? Like how do Catholics determine like what is the quote unquote Catholic view on a particular social or political issue? Well, there's like a whole bureaucracy that handles this, right? Like the, the Pope uh, issues like encyclicals, you know, like will we'll write these long essays about, you know, whether it's like environmental issues or other moral issues. And then you have, you know, the, the, the churches are kind of integrated into this bureaucratic mechanism that, kind of determines based on like fixed doctrine, right? The catechism uh, based on this fixed doctrine, they kind of apply that to contemporary issues. And, you know, we, as Hindus, we don't have that. It's kind of up to the individual, right? Like we have kind of these broad philosophical principles that unify us and it's up to you to kind of take those broad philosophical principles and apply them to everyday issues or political issues. The problem is, you know, it's that's a very fraught process and it's very complicated and it basically gives a lot of space for opportunists To just Mm -hmm. say like this is the hindu view because and and, you know it's not necessarily because this is like a well-considered position in the interest of the community but you know it's their own individual interest to kind of uh, get position that legitimacy so yeah i mean to me this is this is uh, just another symptom of kind of the deep institutional crisis that we face um and i think that's really what our focus should be on uh, on addressing
0: Absolutely. Fantastic point. Um, And uh, before we get into closure, so what we do in closing um, is we get recommendations for our listeners to read, write. uh, uh, Well, I mean, everyone, I think, should write, but to read and watch and what they should be watching or what they should be reading. Uh, It could be non-political. Usually we go even out of convention. We even talk about films or books or something like that. So, you know, I want to talk to you, Vishal. Any recommendations you have for our listeners and viewers this time?
1: Well, I think uh, two books that, you know, uh, just based on the topics that we've been discussing today that have been very influential for me, I mean, I'll, you know, for on the Hindu history side, the, Michael Altman, he's a professor of religion in Alabama, and he wrote the book, Heathen, Hindu, Hindu. Um, highly recommend it. If you're interested in this Hindu history topic, like he's kind of been my guiding light just in, uh, you know, I was finding all these newspaper clips and I didn't really know what to do with them. And then I kind of came across his book and I realized like, oh, wait, okay, there's actually like a... A model here, right? There's like a uh, there's an intellectual framework that I can plug into. So I highly recommend reading his book. Um, also, Jeffrey Long, uh, Doctor Professor Jeffrey Long, Hinduism in America, very great, very good book, very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, uh, Doctor A uh, Hindu View of Life. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that book uh, I've been reading. I kind of refer to it consistently, and it's, you know, in thinking about kind of like Hinduism in America, that's also been a very important book for me. You know, he's obviously one of the greatest. Indian philosophers, um, and you know, he is very much like um, uh, he is a very inspiring book to read, and I think his view on what Hinduism is and what Dharmic traditions are is very compelling. You know, like this idea that you know, if a tradition is not living, uh, it's 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 a fossil. You know, that's like the that's always yeah. a kind of a, a motto to keep in mind.
0: So I'm glad you talked about Dr. Jeffrey Long, you know, who's in, he's a professor of religion in Pennsylvania, and he's also yep. a columnist for us at Mindmakers. He has written five columns for us, five to six columns, and a uh, very That's good great. friend of ours at Mindmakers, and, you know, hope we probably are hoping of doing another podcast with him as well. He's And he, he actually has written a, uh, two pieces. One is about Jainism, an introduction. So uh, all my fellow Jains who haven't read, I would recommend that. And then, you know, the Historical Dictionary of Hinduism as well, he's
1: yeah, so, he, uh, I, I, I should, uh, I would, if you, we should see if he's on Clubhouse because he'd be a great person, I think, to have a Clubhouse discussion with, you know. Maybe,
0: and maybe we can have a, a co- combined Clubhouse, you know, mind and meets Hindu history. We can talk about that and it'll be terrific.
1: Yeah, I would love that. You know, I just hosted my first one, uh, the other day and I think it was a, it was a great success, and I think it's a great format, too. You know, this, like, conversational yeah. format with uh, Q&A, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Absolutely.
0: I, I hosted my first Clubhouse a, a few hours before we recorded. So, yeah, we <laughs> we both are, you know, are wetting, uh, wetting our feet in. And let's see. So, no, definitely uh, yeah. uh, do read out Jeffrey Long's book. Uh, my, uh, my recommendation is going to be um, a very uh, interesting one. So my recommendation is going to be wa- read... A historical book, I think Vivek Deborah has written a fantastic interpretation of the Mahabharata, read Vivek's books. Also, you have to read um, uh, books that you disagree with as well to sharpen your sort of, uh, you know, uh, naives. So, I mean, it's a wrong, wrong metaphor, but basically sharpen your brains to, uh, uh, to counter the perspective of uh, a lot of uh, things that have been said and so forth. And I would also recommend reading Vishwa Professor. He has had some fantastic. Yeah,
1: they're great. Books. David yeah. Frawley
0: has written some terrific books as well. And I'm hoping that in the near future, there is probably a Netflix series or an Amazon Prime series that encompasses all this and sort of talks about it. And maybe you know, that day, and if, it, if there there is one that exists, please like to us about it. Maybe we don't know about it and uh, we would love to watch it. And Vishal, maybe, um, why don't we do this in a few weeks or months or something? We can do one, a live session with subscribers who are uh, having questions, because I'm sure once we're done with this, there's going to be a million questions for you. I'd I, I love
1: that, I'd be honored. Yeah,
0: but thank you so much, Vishal, for joining. You're doing great work and, uh, you know, kudos to you and all the best. And do please check out Hindu History and let him know what more he can do, what, uh, you know, what he should do uh, for that. Thank you so much for joining us on Mindmakers.
1: Thank you, Adit. I really appreciate you inviting me. I had a great time. You asked great questions. This was a really enjoyable conversation
0: awesome guys please like us on facebook follow us on twitter subscribe on youtube i do this a million times every, uh, every, every podcast so please don't make me repeat hit like on this video guys and uh, do do comment below thank you so much and we'll be back next week with more this is a wrap